Energetics. And uh, I was just explaining to Josh over here that uh, when you're talking about something, the subject of apologetics, hey, I didn't even know that was a dog. Uh, that people use that word and they and you think that you're going to spend the whole time apologizing about stuff, and that's not what it is. Anybody ever heard the word apologetics before? Yeah. I know. I remember a couple of you all had. Uh, let's turn to First Peter chapter three. Like I was telling Josh over here, the word apologetics is is from the Greek apologia. Which means to give an answer or a defense. And this is the command of Scripture, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. And I'll get there eventually. It says, But sanctify, that means set apart the Lord of God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that ask you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So, I didn't, I'm not going around the room and asking you all whether you're all Christians or not. I'm here because I'm sure some of you all profess faith in Christ. Some of you all are seeking. Some of you all are looking. I'm here to give an answer. And that's what that word apologia means. I'm here to give a defense or an answer for why I hope in Christ. And that's what apologetics is. And apologetics attempts to give an answer. It attempts to answer the questions that people have to give a reason for why I believe what I believe. And when I was, uh, when I was saved, I was saved August 26, 1999 in Corpus Christi, Texas. Uh, I, first thing I did is I started devouring the Scriptures. I started reading the Scriptures every day. Uh, I really hadn't thought about why I believe what I believe. And I remember my daddy, when I, when I moved up here in 2002, he gave me a book from a man by the name of Francis Schaeffer called, uh, called How Shall We Then Live? And it was the first time I ever read something of a man giving a reason for why he believed what he believed. And since then, in 2002, I've given almost 20, I mean now about 20 years, to studying uh, various things and uh, studying the subject of apologetics. So we're going to look at a lot of things, uh, assuming you all don't boot me out of here and say, hey, we don't want you to come around no more. Uh, we're going to look at a lot of things uh, from philosophy, from science, from things like that. But I'm, my, my hope is, is that I can simply declare the Lord of the Scriptures and especially the Gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to start with a question. What do you think the Bible is about? It's a history. History of what? What's that? Life. Okay, so it tells you how life began, uh, to, uh, things like that. Uh, to, what else? Who, what is the... It's a history of or Not a history of faith, but it's about faith. It's about... Uh, anything particular about our faith? Between God and humankind, specifically Christ, the gospel about God, you say, Keith. Um, and it's about, th those, those are all things that are in the scriptures, 
But if we were to assess an actual theme, there are various themes in the scripture, like uh, a king and his kingdom. There's a lot about uh, there's a lot about the kingdom of God in there. Uh, we, we, there there are other themes: uh, um, uh, Christ and the church, uh, the bride of Christ, him being the groom. Those are considered themes. If you uh, uh, and if we were to ha- pick an overarching theme, it would be something that is found everywhere. There is one theme in the scriptures that is found literally on every page. In fact, if you were to count it, it would appear on every fifth verse around that, or almost around every fifth verse, and that's explicitly. Uh, So around 21% of every verse that you read in the Bible, this one single theme will be prevalent. And I'm going to get to what it is in a second. So 21% of all the scripture, and that's just not that's not even counting the way it's not verbalized. It's not verbalized in a lot of different ways. And the theme is simply this: God is Lord. Now that don't seem like a big thing, right? <laughs> we, we we use we use that term Lord all the time, uh, but but He's Lord, and He's Lord over. Everything. He's Lord over you. He's Lord over me. He's Lord over every maverick molecule. <laughs> there is no maverick molecule in the entire universe. He is in control. Um, John Frame talked about talked about uh, lordship attributes, and the lordship attributes are simply this: that he is in control, that he has absolute authority, and that he is present. He is present, and he sees, and he judges all things. He created the world, he created you, he created everything that's in the world, and he, by nature of being its creator, is also its Lord. Does that make sense so far? So that's not just every fifth verse in the Bible that declares him to be Lord, but there are sometimes, like, the book of Esther does not have the name Lord at all. Throughout the end, it's the only book in the Bible that's like that, but you can't read the book of Esther and not see that God is in control that he is exercising his authority, that he is present, that he is working, that he is doing these things. Uh, in the book of Isaiah, for instance, and we're going to go several places here in the next few minutes, but in the book of Isaiah, you have, starting in Isaiah 40 to around Isaiah 48, something called the trial of the false gods. And there, it's a very interesting part of the scripture, whereby the Lord of the scriptures begins comparing himself with all the false deities that are around. Um, the various things of gold and silver that people carved out of wood, and they would worship these things of gold and silver. And God would declare that those, those things were not gods, but he was. Isaiah 43 is one, one instance of this, uh, where he says in the trial of false gods, here around verse 10, he, he says, let all the... Na-, in verse 9, he's verse 8 actually, bring forth, so Isaiah 43, 8, bring forth the blind people that have eyes and the deaf that have ears. Let all the nations be gathered together and let the people be assembled. Who among them can declare this and show us former things? Let them bring forth their witnesses that they may be justified and let them hear and say it is truth. You are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen. Ye 
ye may know that I know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. The Bible proclaims one central truth. Now, praise the Lord, it's not the only truth because we get to our guilt against that God, uh, but and we have the truths of the gospel, but it declares one simple truth. There's one God. And it's the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Israel, the God of the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of the gospel, the, all, all, all these, there is but one God. Before that God, there was nothing. Before that God, there was nothing. After that God, there was nothing. He is Lord, and He is Lord alone. That is an exclusive claim. And it's one every single one of us, including myself, had to deal with. See, I like to think of myself as independent. We we, we got this uh, we got this uh, rugged individualism, right? In in America, we we, we our Western culture. It's we we we, we thrive on uh, you know uh, head bloodied and head bloodied and unbowed. Yeah, you know the uh, the the famous poem there, uh, Captain of Own Fate, Master of Own Soul. I got that backwards, I know. Uh, uh, picking yourself up by your bootstraps, all all that stuff, and it's not true. There is no one in here that is independent of God. There is no one that is independent of His lordship. There is no one here that is not under Him and must one day answer to him. That's a, that, that's a truth that is prevalent throughout the scriptures. One of the, the, very first, the very first thing we talked about the beginning of life, right? I think Niall said that. Um, we, we, we talked about, we brought that up, but there in the beginning, there in the garden, there was the authority of God that says, you may freely eat of all, except, and he set the boundaries, he defined what is real. He defined what is true. No one else can define reality but God. He defined what is right, and he defined what is wrong. He's the one that said, thou shalt not. He is the definer of all reality. He's the interpreter of all reality, and he is the judge of all reality. And what did man do? Someone came along, i.e. the serpent, and said, did God really say that? And they began to try to draw this doubt away, to make the mind doubt the authority of God. And mankind, now that a doubt was risen about God, said, well, I get to choose what I'm going to believe. And therefore, they decided that they would do, they would act independent of what God had said. And, of course, we know the story. We know how it turned out, right? Uh, man took of the fruit. Man disobeyed God. Uh, and you and all of us became sinners in that one act. One, by one man entered sin, entered into the world, death by sin. We were all in Adam when he chose. He was our, and, 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 and since then, we've all known the guilt of being disobedient. In fact, we've all lived that same scenario out in our lives as well. There came a point in time, for me, I don't know if I told this story last week, forgive me if I do, I, for, I repeat myself a lot, but uh, did I tell you about my grandma's curtains last week? Yeah. Okay, well, well, I'll tell you again, I knew something was right and something was wrong, 
and I chose to do wrong anyway. So, I mean, we've all fulfilled, we've all filled up the measure of our very first father, right? I cut up my grandma's curtains. I knew it was wrong. I did it. And then a week later, I cut, I cut up all my grandpa's tobacco sticks. And he wasn't happy about that. I found an hatchet and just took that hatchet and started, started hacking it up. And, and, uh, but I knew there was something I was supposed to do, and I didn't do it. I knew that there was something I wasn't supposed to do, and I did it. I knew there was a Lord over me, and I acted contrary to that God. So there's none of us that are independent. And what I want to do is I want to be able to declare this Lord to you, this God that is. Go, go to Hebrews chapter 11. We call this the, uh, this is towards the end of the New Testament. If you all don't have, don't have, your, uh, don't have your books memorized or anything like that. So you almost flop all the way to the end. If you find, if you, if you hit Revelation, you've gone too far, go back the other way and you'll find Hebrews. And in chapter 11, you have this great faith hall of fame. And that's what it's called. It's called this hall of fame of faith. And you, you, and, and you, you learn about what faith is. Faith is believing God. Uh, it's the substance of things that we hope for. It's the evidence of things that we do not see. And, and by faith, we know. We all have faith. And we all already know by faith that God created everything from nothing. Uh but he goes on and he says this in Hebrews 11 and in verse 6. He says, But without faith, and what does faith mean? Is faith just believing in something? But, but is it believing in something? All right, believing in something you can't see specifically, but it's not believing without evidence. It's not believing without there being something there, like I'm putting faith in this chair, but i got good reason to put faith in this chair. But I have good reason to put faith in God, too, because I know God is there. And I, but faith here is not just believing that God is, but believing that God is what he says he is, believing that God will do what he said he would do. That's, that's, that's what we mean by faith. So it says here, without faith, verse 6, 11, 6, it is impossible to please God, for he that comes to God must believe that God is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So, so we must believe that God is. We must believe that he, that he is the rewarder, that he is faithful, that he is, that he is uh, what he says he is. I, I want, so I want to... Start with the subject of truth. Um, I, don't, I don't want to throw a lot of big terms at you. That was just an introduction, so now I'm going to do an introduction to the first thing. Uh, who's heard the word metaphysics before? All right, you've heard the word metaphysics? Oh, what's, what is metaphysics? It means like uh, magical properties or like spiritual Things, right? uh, sort of, uh, sort, sort of, metaphysics, alright, so first let's back up the trap again, what's physics? Physics is how something works, like cause and effect, where there, there are things that exist in a physical world, and those things interact, those things, those, those, those are real things, 
what is the cause of those things? Those. First. Yeah. What's that? First. Yeah. Yeah. Well, prime yeah. The prime mover, the first mover. What? What? What is the reason and the cause of those things? That's what we mean by metaphysics. Another word that we could use for metaphysics is truth. What is the reality? All right. There's this chair right here. This chair has this chair is real. This chair exists. But this chair isn't the reason for its own existence, right? Why is this chair here? Well, because someone made this chair, right? There is a there is a reality about this chair. But there is a reality about you. And there's a reality about me. So if we're studying metaphysics, metaphysics is or if we're studying truth, metaphysics is answering a question, what is the truth, the real truth, the ultimate truth? What is the really real that is behind what is? Does that make sense so far? So this is the bedrock of, of human philosophy. And, and there's a couple different ways that people look at it. Uh, some people will start with a question of epistemology. I'm not going to talk about truth until I can figure out how how I even know what I know. And these are the people that will generally keep asking the questions. Well, how do you know that? Well, how do you know that? Well, how do you know that? And then you give them an answer. Well, how do you know that's true? How do you know that's true? And those people never arrive at anything because they're starting wrong. <laughs> because you can't, you, you, you can't just act like you don't already know something. There is something ontologically, there's another big word, right? It comes from the word ontos, means being. We already know there's a truth there, right? Um, we, are, we, we already know that for a fact. We already know that there is something there to be known. And we can later come back and start examining, well, how, how, how is this that we know this and that? But we have to admit that there is, some, there is truth. There is a truth of the matter, just like there's a truth of this chair, <laughs> Or there's a there's a truth of the entire universe. There's a truth for Keith. That for it's not Keith's truth as if it's relative just to him. But there's a truth uh, behind Keith. There's a reason Keith is here, right? There's a reason I'm here. There's a reason for 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 the things that we are. Um, there's a famous preacher named A. W. Tozer that said an individual or a culture will never rise higher than their view of God. You're, you, you, you and I will never be as great as our view of God. If, if your view of God is low and base, then you're never going to rise above being, above being low and base. Uh, if your God is, high, is, is hopefully the God of the Scriptures, the highly exalted, holy, righteous, uh, loving God of the scriptures, the God of the gospel, then that raises you high. No culture has ever risen higher. If, they, if, they're, if they're in temples, if they're in temples with prostitutes trying to, trying to get good, good fertile soil by doing their religious rites and then they're, because that's what their God expects of them, then that's how they live their life. And it's a chaotic way. Someone said this, it's either Christ or chaos. And I'm, as we get deeper into this, I hope we can show see this. And I better keep track of time because I know you all want to eat, right? <laughs> Eventually, and it smells good. And I'm, I'm trying to figure out a way to way to get an invite to dinner. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, 
But uh, it's, but so far, no one said, "Hey, stick around for dinner yet." <laughs> I'm just joking. My wife would kill me if I didn't if I ate before I got home. Um, but it does smell really good, by the way. Uh, you're welcome. Um, yeah. But where, where was I at? What was I talking about? Uh, I lost it. Tozer, knowledge of the Holy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Knowledge of you, you know Tozer. That wrecked me. What? When I first read it, it wrecked me. It wrecked you? Yeah. It, idolatry is having a long thought about God and acting as if it's true. Uh huh. That just like completely spiraled me out for like two years. Oh yeah. I, I couldn't get past chapter three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To, to, someone handed me a Tozer's book. Um, uh, pursuit of God, and that 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 one got me. So I was like, "Wow." He was good. <laughs> yeah, Tozer was great. Uh, but 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 you ne- but we never ri- no someone never rises any higher than their concept of God. Be very careful with what your concept of God is. And by the way, we don't get to define God. God gets to define everything else, right? A God has, and we're going to talk about this idea of revelation. We know God not because we were smart and we figured it all out. You know, uh, uh, we, 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 we uh, philosophized our way up or we acid-tripped our way all, all the way up to some knowledge or had some existential experience. No, we didn't figure God out. God revealed himself. God revealed the truth, the truth of himself just as much as he revealed 2 plus 2 is 4. We know that we know, and that in and of itself is a revelation of God, that God is a God, is an, a God of order and God, God, of, God of design. But, uh, but... It affects you. I'm not trying to talk about politics, but consider the consider politically the revolutionary idea. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created. That was a whole lot different than a piece of paper that was signed on the other side of the Atlantic. <laughs> the declarations of the rights of man about five years later that says rights came from man where they were chopping off people's head and blood was flowing in the streets. Right? The French Revolution. That was radical. That was of, that was asserting a political belief not based upon anything else than there's a great God that created us. And because that great God created us, we have rights. We have freedoms. We have liberties. And so that, that, that idea of God shaped us. It shaped, it shaped our culture. Unfortunately, it's being thrown in the trash and everything else like now. But, but, but it shaped how we view the political world uh, around us. So it is important what our view of God is. Pontius Pilate once asked the question with Jesus standing in front of him. You all know who Pontius Pilate is. He was the one, he was the governor that Jesus stood before that, that that washed his hands of it and says, Go crucify him, and they crucified him. Pontius Pilate before that was was told was told that uh, the reason why the Jews wanted him dead. He said they said, We have a law, and like we talked about last week with Mark. We have a law, and it says this man says he's the son of God, that's blasphemy, and he should die. Well, that piqued, uh, that piqued the interest of Pontius Pilate, who dropped, brought Christ back for more questions. And Christ told them about truth. He says, all that are of the truth hear me. 
Pilate asked a question, what is truth? But unfortunately, Pilate walked away and didn't get an answer. He didn't even wait around for an answer, just walked away. I, there is nothing more important than us to have first an answer to that question. What is the truth about you? What is the truth about me? What is the truth about this world? Um, what, so what is truth? Like most people, Pilate didn't wait for an answer, and metaphysics is that category. We're looking for the truth of the matter. Uh, I, I, I want to. I mean, I may take about ten more minutes or so, and I'll come to a stopping point. But uh, what is in this world? Uh, we have different kinds of things around us. We have tangible things. You all know what I mean by tangible. Okay, these are things we can hold in our hands. Uh, we can touch. We can sense them with our senses, like uh, like. Uh, um, like everything around us, anything you can hear, smell, like the food over there, it's tangible. It, it, it has a tangible reality. Uh, things we experience, holding our hands. Um, things that experience the, 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 the universe itself. The universe itself is a tangible thing. It has space. It has dimensions. You can measure it. Uh, you can quantify it. You can count it. Uh, even time, in, in a sense, is, is something that is sense, and we, we, we have uh, clocks that are measuring it all the time. Uh, it's tangible world, space, time, matter. But there is also some intangible things. What are intangible? What we can't sense. Yeah, what, can't, what you can't sense, but they're just as real. Uh, how many of you all have a mom? Every one of you, right? <laughs> How many of you? Oh, but, but you had one, and you loved her, didn't you? Can you touch love? Can you see love? Can you measure love? No. We, we love a lot, but what does that mean? Uh, what about thoughts? Have you ever seen a thought? Like, I'm thinking of an elephant. Uh, now, yeah. Now, I want you to also think of an elephant. Okay, you're thinking of an elephant. I'm thinking of an elephant. Whose elephant's bigger? Mine or his? Anybody know? All right. All right. If I, <laughs> I bet my. <laughs> well, we're not. So, but, but you can't measure a thought, right? If I was to, if I was to, if I was to go over there and I'll say I'm going to discover which one's bigger. I'm going to cut Niall's head open and I'm going to start taking his brain apart. Will I ever get to that little cell somewhere? Aha! Right here. Here's his thought of an elephant right there. No, because because thought's not something we can measure. Love's not. It, we, it's real though. In fact, it's it's very real. Uh, the intangible world, the world of the soul, is is is, ju is just as real as anything else. Uh, mathematics. Uh, the, the, has has anybody just walked around and got slapped by number seven? No, I mean, uh, it, the number seven didn't cause you to do anything and didn't. But but. But mathematical concepts are real in a real world because they're objects, abstract objects of a mind. Now, now, what we're looking for when we're talking about reality, when we're talking about truth, is what makes sense, what is the truth behind both the tangible and the intangible realities that we exist, that we experience. One more verse of scripture. Well. I say that, and then I go to three other places. Go to Colossians chapter 1. We're told something about Jesus Christ, specifically. 
And I have a feeling I'm going to not even get the introduction to the subject done. But Colossians, right around the middle of the New Testament, if it, compared to the Bible, it's uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then just keep turning right, and you're going to run into Corinthians, and eventually you'll get to Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. Paul wrote Colossians because there was a there was a uh, kind of a proto Gnosticism going on that was talking about uh, talking about uh, the reality of of uh, the spiritual world and st- things things like that. But uh, and he was addressing some of those issues. But it's important what he says about Christ here, and we know he's talking about Christ because in verse thirteen it says. He delivered us from the power of darkness, translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom, that is in the Son, we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. So we're talking about Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, and that doesn't mean he he was, um, the, that he was, well, we're getting to the, what it means by firstborn. That means he was the heir, and I mean, he was exalted above all. Uh, that doesn't mean what the Jehovah's Witness will take this verse or a Unitarian will take this verse. Say, say he was created like if Jesus was not created. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. All things were made by him. Uh, he is not created. But he is the firstborn because he's the heir. In the Bible, that's what that means, is, is, is they're the heir. He is, who is the firstborn of every creature. And it says something, it says something here, verse 16. For by him were all things created. Talking about Jesus. By him all things were created that are in heaven and that are in earth. Visible and invisible. The tangible and the intangible. The things we can touch and sense and measure and the things we can't. So all things were created by him and or uh, whether they be thrones or visible or invisible, whether they be thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, there is a spiritual world, by the way. Uh, all things were created by Him and for Him. I want to go back to this, that in a second. In verse 17, He says, "And He is before all things, and by Him all things consist." Or, in other words, He's the one holding everything together. Why are atoms not flying apart? Because the power of the Word of God which is Jesus Christ. But here, it's introducing us to something, this very last, these very last words says, in verse 16, it says, all things were created by him and for him. Uh, brother, please remind me your name. And I'm going to, or else, uh, Ben, Ben, Ben's the guy that, that knows Tozer. I'll try <laughs> to remember that. Uh, Tozer really was a blessing to me when I was a new Christian man. Um, but, but Ben was mentioning earlier this idea of a prime mover, or, or another word with that would be a first cause. What does that mean by first cause? Well, all right, so, uh, so we, have, we live in a world of cause and effect. So if something, if something, hit, something causes this, or something was caused by that, was caused by that, was caused by that. But you can't go an infinite time backwards with causes. You have to reach something that was uncaused that caused everything else. And we're going to get into some of the reasons why eventually. But by way of introduction, the first cause is that eternal reality that 
caused everything else to be. Uh, so you have this chain of, if you have this long chain, you don't have this long eternal chain of events going all the way back. You have something that started it. In this case, it says someone that started it. It says all things were created by him. It declares that he is the first cause. But it says all things were also created for him. What does that mean? Here's the term, this idea that he is the final cause. The final cause is kind of like this. If you think of it like this. Uh, if I was to draw back a bow and uh, with a arrow and there's a target way over there, that bullseye would be the final cause. It's the purpose. It's where everything is going. Uh, it's the reason why something is. Uh, so, so what we're looking for when we're talking about truth is you have to, we need to not only talk about what caused it, why it's here, but why it's here, where it's all headed. These are the big questions, right? Uh, and that, uh, if, if you're if you're studying science, they will say, well, we're, we're we're looking for a theory of everything. Anybody ever heard of the theory of everything? It's called toe, T O E, toe. <laughs> Go figure. But uh, it's that's an acronym for the theory of everything. And they got various reasons. Uh, in fact, we've always been looking for a theory of everything. Back in ancient Greek, at, at ancient Greek their ancient Greek says, okay, the one, the, the, the thing that caused all other things was water. Or, or the atom caused everything else. They called themselves atomists. Uh, or, or uh, you know, they had various things. Uh, you would have four essences, earth, wind, water, fire. And they said, well, what is the fifth essence? What is the thing that binds all those together, that makes sense out of all those? We're still doing it. Universe. What's, what's the word universe? Looking for unity and diversity. In diverse. Trying to make sense of all these li- li- different things in the universe one, under one heading. Universe, one verb, well, one out of diversity. You go to a university to learn. They say, well, you have all these subjects, but we're, we, we can make sense out of all those. Um, so the scriptures say that Christ is that answer. We used to have that sign above, above our church that Christ is the answer. Well, Christ set himself says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Here in Colossians it says... All things were created by him, and all things were created for him. So he he is that, and nothing else can no, nothing else can tell you why. Uh, anybody ever heard of? Uh, oh, that dude. He was in the wheelchair. Uh, Hawkins. Hawkins. Stephen Hawkins. Stephen Hawkins. Uh, uh, he was one of the ones that discovered uh, or helped. Help discover the, the the absolute beginning of the universe as far as uh, as far as uh, Big Bang cosmology and stuff like that. Well, he couldn't live with that. So, with be, being a committed agnostic and not wanting to let, let God have any foot in the door in the beginning, says, "Okay, well, what really is the ultimate is gravity." Or gravity gravity calls that as long as there's a law of gravity, everything exists. Does gravity explain you, though? Gravity may, may, let's say Stephen Hawking's is right, and gravity can describe the existence of everything in the physical world, but it doesn't explain why I love, 
why I get mad. It doesn't explain my thoughts. It doesn't explain what the laws of logic. It doesn't explain anything. It doesn't give you a reason why. This is this is a real world with with real. This is a real world with real purpose. There's purpose everywhere. Where did purpose come from? If an acorn falls on the ground, and I got so many of them, if anybody wants acorns for some reason, I don't know why you would want them. The deers like them, and and uh, scared me to death when I went out to the car the other day, and I was the dark, and a deer was standing right there, and <laughs> yeah. It's a good place to hunt, right, right around here. But, but if an acorn falls into the ground, that acorn already has every. That acorn is already pointed in a direction to make an oak tree, right? You, you have purpose in every single cell of your body, right? You know what that means? There was once a bow that was drawn, and there was once a target that was set, and that was set by a mind. That was set by God. There was a there there was there was there was the God of the Scriptures, and I'll, according to Colossians, there is Jesus Christ, and He is the one that created purpose in this world. He's the one that created the mountains of information that's in every single cell of your body that says everything it needs we need to know about making you, and making you just the way you are physically, and everything else like there 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 is purpose everywhere. There is a first and a final cause. And long before we even talked about God or talked about reality in these philosophical categories, Paul was already saying all things were created by him and all things were created for him. There is, there is an actual direction that your life is supposed to go. And I, I want when you're t- discovering truth, you're discovering something that is important uh, to the direction of your entire life. Truth is a personal thing. If you discover information, you know someone wrote it, right? If I, if I was walking down a beach, and uh, or not a beach, but I was walking down the road and I saw a piece of paper laying down and I picked it up and it says, and it says, honey, I love you so much. Please pick up a gallon of milk on your way home love uh, smoochy poo or something, I don't know, just whatever, whoever would I say well, man, that's crazy look at that accidental just explosion of paper and ink that created this message without any purpose, without any meaning, without any direction well, I wouldn't consider that an accident, right? but there is information in everything, every time you sit down and do a math problem, you are dealing with a world of truth you are dealing with a mind that created truth and created purpose. And you are, you are dealing with one mind communi- communicating with another mind. I would surmise about that letter that there was a mind, there was somebody that was communicating with someone else. But that's true of every reality I touch is God communicating. He has revealed himself. One more place. I promised. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm a li- I've lied again. And you're, you know those preachers. So they'll lie all the time. Um, Romans chapter 1. This is what Paul said about the matter. He says, you all already know God's there. Every single one of you, you already know that God is there. 
he says this. He says the wrath of God, verse 18, Romans 1.18, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness. That's all bad news, and we'll talk about that later. But who hold the truth of God and righteousness. But here's what he says. Because that which may be known of God is manifest. It's revealed. It's already seen. It's revealed how? For God has shown it to them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. You don't have anybody. No one needed to tell me when I was a five-year-old that there was a God and I shouldn't lie, right? And there was a God that was going to judge me. They are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. Godhead. So it's revealed. God has revealed himself. He has revealed himself every time you and I are having a coherent thought. We are doing so because God is real. If God wasn't real, there would be chaos. If we were really just the product of gravity, we wouldn't be sitting here having logical conversations and this, or, or anything like that. God is real. We wouldn't, be, we wouldn't be doing mathematics. We wouldn't be talking about philosophy. We wouldn't be talking about truth. We wouldn't, uh, we wouldn't, we wouldn't know that DNA had all instructions all the instructions to create you the way you are. We, those things would not be real. Science couldn't be real. All the not, You would have chaos. You would have nihilism. Nothing is real. Nothing can be known. Nothing is true. But the fact that it is has already communicated with us that God is there. Um, Francis, Francis Schaeffer, I'm not going to tell you anything that he actually said, but he had, he had two books... He had actually a trilogy of books on apologetics. Uh, the first one was uh, uh, Escape from Reason. But the, next, the title of the next two books was very instructive. The second book in that series was called The God That Is There. And it presented us with just, just the title, captured, the, captured This Imagination. We already know that there's something there. We already know there's a God. We already know that there is something that caused us to be and we already know that he's the purpose for which we're here. Does that make sense? All things were created by him, and all things were created for him. The first and the final cause. And we're already swimming in his reality. We already know he's there, and we already know we're supposed to be living for him. I would say turn one more place, but I don't want to continue my, 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 my charade of lies here about I'm not going to go any further. But in Acts chapter 17, don't turn there because I don't, I don't want you to, to get say what. Acts 17, we have Paul on Mars Hill, and he's arguing with the philosophers, the Epicureans and the Stoics, uh, two different schools of philosophy. And he says to them, I'm declaring to you this unknown God that you ignorantly already know is there and you're, and you're in the dark, you're feeling after him, but he's not far from every one of you. And he has ultimately revealed himself in Jesus Christ and he has appointed a day in which he will judge all men by Christ, giving us assurance because he is risen, that Christ, Christ is risen from the dead. We're, we, we, we have more than just logical surmisings. We have the fact that this very God has revealed himself. Not in the pages of Scripture, 
in time and space in real history and ultimately in the person of Jesus Christ. There is a God. He has made himself known. There is a truth. There is a reason, a cause for why you're here. And there is a reason why you're here. There is a why. Gravity doesn't tell it. Quantum fluctuations do not tell you why you're here. It doesn't explain the intangible realities, much less the tangible ones. But the Bible presents you with a God that does. And that, and we're swimming in his reality every time we think, every time we talk, every time we, we're already in the presence of God. And uh, I'm going to stop there. Uh, any questions, complaints, or grievances? I always want to give people a chance to grieve. and uh, We'll stop there. Uh, if you all are continuing...